Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Jan Orman. I host a regular webinar about mental health and online resources on behalf of Black Dog Institute and the Australian Federal Government's eMental Health in Practice project. This podcast series is based on those webinars. As health professionals, chronic pain is an issue for all of us. General practitioners are in danger of getting caught up in their patients' misunderstandings of the role of medication in chronic pain and their desire for a quick fix. That may mean the non-pharmacological aspects of chronic pain management are overlooked. Allied health practitioners may find that clients do not really understand why they've been referred, given that those clients see themselves as having a physical problem, not a mental health problem. Our first job is to make sure pain is properly assessed and that chronic pain sufferers fully understand the nature of their pain. Our next job is to help them manage it. These are complex tasks that we're now needing to do via telehealth. Luckily, there are some experts in the field who've been working remotely with chronic pain sufferers for almost a decade. On my panel were Dr Tanya Gardner, a senior physiotherapist at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney who contributed to the development of the Reboot Pain Management Program for This Way Up. Dr Jane Wheatley, a clinical and health psychologist at St Vincent's Pain Clinic who's currently involved in a program called Tele-Reboot, which is providing group therapy via the internet for chronic pain sufferers and Dr. Milana Votrebeck, who is a GP and pain management consultant and chair of the RACGP Specific Interest Group in Pain Management. First up, I asked Tanya about the size of the chronic pain problem in Australia. There's a huge prevalence of chronic pain. We know that one in five in the population will experience some chronic pain. And with that comes a huge economic burden. Um, so we know that in Australia we spend $34.3 billion a year um, on chronic pain. Um, and we also know that there's a continuing growth in the use of opiates and also deaths associated with um, opiates as well. Um, and with that, we've also got that ongoing disability, loss of work, uh, mental health problems, uh, poor quality of life and breakdown of relationships. So there's a huge burden that comes with chronic pain, both to the individual and to society. Um, and it's also so multifactorial and complex. Um, and that's, uh, that's why we, we need to talk about chronic pain. I think we should really define what we mean by chronic pain. Milana, can you help us with that? Well, the word chronic may mean different things to different people. Um, there are some patients, of course, who present with a, uh, a chronic pain that actually means that they have a, a very severe pain and others who talk about their chronic pain that uh, happens every so often. So we need to make sure that we are all on the same page when it comes to defining the word chronic. So we're talking about pain that's gone on for a long time, not pain that's severe, and maybe yes. it's gone on for a long time continuously, and maybe it's gone on for a long time recurrently. What, as a GP, Milana, are the main concerns for you, or for GPs generally in the management of chronic pain, do you think? I think there are a couple of uh, issues for most GPs who are faced with patients with chronic pain. 
and that is that there usually um, takes a long time to sort out all the uh, aspects of the pain. So it's time, but it's also the idea that some patients come along and all they want is a, a quick fix, an analgesic, and they'll be off on their way. And of course, that um, gives us a, a, a problem insofar as, uh, well, the title reads, medication minefields. It would be so much easier just to write a script and wave them out the door, but that's really not the way to uh, look after after patients who have chronic pain presentations. What about you, Jane? What would you say the most difficult things for allied mental health workers are? Um, well, I think there are probably a few main things. Uh, one of them would be, you know, the patient's reluctance at times to engage with allied health if they don't really understand um, how it might be helpful to work on some of those other factors that affect pain, um, like the mood, for example, um, because we know that, you know, pain can affect our mood, but we also know that our mood can affect our pain. So when patients don't understand that, they can be really reluctant to engage. In particular, if we're looking at our psychology, um, it can also be that we're overcoming that barrier of having, you know, patients sent to us and they've got this idea that they're being told their pain's all in their head because you're being sent to a psychologist. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of different barriers that, that affect different disciplines amongst us mm. um, in different ways. And, of course, we've had the added difficulty in the time of COVID-19, haven't we, Tanya? Sure have. So thanks to COVID, uh, most of us have had to move to um, telehealth consults um, and we know that chronic pain patients are complex and we require a lot of time um, but a really strong therapeutic alliance um, with our patients. So um, I think using telehealth has just been that extra um, barrier um, for some patients and for some clinicians as well. Mm -hmm. um, but we have um, had lots of experience with telehealth and know that it can be done um, successfully. So we've been doing telehealth uh, for over eight years. We, we do an outreach program down to southern New South Wales um, and we've used uh, telehealth uh, for that time. And initially I would say I was a little bit hesitant, wasn't sure how that was going to work. Um, but it's been uh, it's been really successful, and we do uh, monitor and get patient feedback for that whole sort of eight years. And it's um, as I said, overwhelmingly positive. Tanya provided us with some helpful hints about doing telehealth consultations generally. Apart from that practical advice, she commented particularly on the need to look after yourself while working using telehealth. Telehealth can take a little bit longer. You need some time um, for yourself to come into the meeting room, but also for the patient to come in and make sure that there's any technical issues that can take a little bit longer. Um, it's also, I think, takes a little bit of extra energy because you do have to spend a bit more time concentrating and looking out for cues and uh, feedback from the patient that maybe you wouldn't have to do um, so much at, in that face-to-face -face consult. So I would say if you're seeing patients all day long um, to make sure that you have some time in between patients, mm -hmm. um, particularly with these complex um, patients that they can be quite tiring. We find when we're talking about subjects like this in webinars that one of the best ways to do it is talk about a particular case study. So Tanya would like to introduce us to Darren, who I'm sure many of you will recognise as someone who you might have seen in your practice at one time or another. 
Yeah, so Darren's a 45-year-old man. Um, he's presented with um, uh, an increase in his pain. He's had chronic low back pain for 15 years, but has most recently experienced increased um, pain intensity. Um, he works at the local wharf, um, helps to repair boats uh, for a charter a boat company, which has recently had to uh, reduce um, their hours due to COVID. Um, he's told us that he's had increased alcohol consumption um, since this increase in pain um, and has come in and asked for some pain medication to fix it. Not an uncommon presentation, is it, Milana? For somebody no, to not at all. say, I just want something for this pain, doc. That leaves you in a difficult position. So what we've got to do is a subjective assessment. That's right. What's a subjective assessment? So we're just going to be asking question, asking the history from the patient. So um, the same type of subjective history that you would take um, in your face-to-face consult, um, you would do exactly the same in the telehealth. So if you have good communication skills in the clinic, you're going to have great communication skills for telehealth. So it's going to be exactly the same. Um, but we do need to make sure that we're really listening, particularly not just because it's telehealth, but because of the chronic pain patients and the, their complexity, we need to be listening to not what not only what they're saying, but the language they're using to try and work out who this person is and what meaning this pain has for them. Um, and so we're listening to cues um, about their beliefs, um, perhaps what some of their stressors that are occurring in their life because of their pain. Um, what do they perceive their pain as? Is it a signal of, of danger or tissue damage? Um, are they fearful of movement or activity? Is that why they've disengaged um, from doing things? Um, does their language indicate a rigidity in their thinking patterns or have they got some flexibility with that? Um, because we might actually be needing them to look at things differently, explore things in a different way. So have they got that capacity um, to do that? Um, what's their mood like? So often as a physio, I talk to patients about their mood, but if I explicitly ask them, um, they might not have that insight, but it's other cues and other sort of uh, flags that I'll be hearing through their history that will give me an indication perhaps that they're depressed. Um, you know, they're telling me they're not motivated. They're not getting out of bed until midday. Their appetite's um, gone down. So there's little hints that we can get that tell us a lot um, during the history. I think for um, allied health especially, one of the other things that's really important is we actually need to introduce ourselves and, and talk about what our role is within chronic pain you know what's a psychologist actually doing so that or, or what's a physio actually doing when it comes to chronic pain because otherwise patients can be a bit confused about why we might be asking such broad-ranging questions and uh, can be a bit reluctant to talk about it but if they understand that you know chronic pain is complex we're asking a lot of questions about a lot of different areas so that we can find out about how your pain is affecting your life and what sort of things we might be able to do to help. There's a handout that comes with this podcast that includes, amongst other useful references and resources, a comprehensive list of the components of a subjective assessment. Of course, the next thing you have to do is a physical assessment, and that might be a tiny bit difficult uh, over the wires or the no wires, as it were. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously we can't do our normal physical assessment when we're using telehealth, um, but that's okay because we can do other things to give us an indication of the patient's uh, functional status, um, particularly in my case, looking at their musculoskeletal system, um, 
just through the subjective uh, history, we can get some idea about what's going on for them functionally. Um, but we can also look and listen while we're with them um, on telehealth. So we'd be looking at things like their respiratory rate. We can we can measure that just by watching them. Um, we can look at things like skin colour, skin rashes, edema, muscle atrophy. Um, we can get through the video. Um, we can have a look at... Um, their range of motion. There's nothing stopping me from asking someone to, to lift their arm above their head and, and see how much movement they've got. Um, we can also ask the patient to measure their own heart rate or respiratory rate if they've got um, Fitbits and, and all sorts of, you know, smartphone gadgets and apps these days can do that. Um, and I think that's a really good way of um, engaging the patient and empowering them um, if for them to sort of become a little bit more... Um, connected to what their body um, or what's going on with their body because often patients with chronic pain um, are very disconnected with their body. They've lost that proprioception. They've lost that perception of where their body is and what their body can do again and and part of that management is reconnecting um, them to their body as well. So, you know, it's about being creative in regards to um, how we do that. For example, if you're on your phone, Tanya, rather than using a platform like this, you might need not have any visuals, so maybe you could get them to send you a photograph of the bits that hurt and, yeah. and the bit on the other side so you can compare for symmetry and so forth. So yeah. you need to be creative in the way you use the technology as yeah. well. And videos as well. So, you know, they can video themselves doing, you know, walking or they can get a partner to do that. So that also involves that family support network um, or whatever other type of net support network they've got. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, photos, videos, mm-hmm. and then reassess that a few weeks down the track so the patient can then see um, that progress. Going back to Darren, we note that he's revealed that he's been especially short-tempered lately. I asked Jane if she felt that that might be important. Well, look, I mean, that could be, you know, to do with the amount of stress that he's under at the moment with regards to his finances and those reduced work hours and changes. It could also be an indicator that he's perhaps experiencing depression. Um, And I think we do find that he does actually admit that he's, you know, having moments of low mood. Mm. It's actually a bit of a clue for me too to ask about what form his short temper takes. You know, you might be looking at, at branching into some conversation about domestic violence here if you Absolutely. Uh, don't ask the right questions and you might miss it. Darren has told us that he's been sitting watching TV for most of the day. So he sort of presents as quite a passive uh, person. He's not really doing a lot in regards to his pain and managing it um, and he's sort of retreated back to, to being or uh, well, not doing too much through the day um, and he does pick his son up from school in the afternoon but that's a short walk so it's not um, not too much activity going on there. So, you know, he's passive. I would say that his uh, fitness and in general uh, condition, he's deconditioned so he's sort of getting quite a bit of uh, information from that um, as well. So his sleep's interrupted, so maybe Jane can uh, tell us a little bit more about sleep. 
Well, I mean, his sleep could be interrupted for a number of reasons, so we need to ask a few more questions. We need to look at, you know, is this a newer thing that's been happening only recently or has he had a longer period of poor sleep? Um, you know, he's mentioned that his mind's racing, so that could indicate, you know, of course, that he's, you know, worried about certain things. He might be, you know, thinking about financial problems. And so we'd need to be then looking at how we're going to manage that. Um, you know, we'd want to be looking at is, is he having difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or is he waking very early in the morning? Um, we noticed that he's drinking alcohol as well. So, you know, that can cause some early waking problems. So we'd also have to investigate that as well. Well, I also wonder just how much alcohol he's consuming and at what time of the day. Mm -hmm. If it's at night, um, that'll get him up to have to pee through the night. So that's going to break his sleep anyway. Mm -hmm. And then once he wakes up and he gets back to bed and then he starts to think and ruminate about his life, mm -hmm. that's not very helpful. Um, I also uh, very concerned uh, about interrupted sleep and as you mentioned the possibility that this may be in fact an indicator of his uh, state of mind he's possible or potentially depressed and therefore we would probably need to address that along with his pain presentation he might just want thinks he might want a quick fix of an analgesic but I think we've got a, a lot more on our plate now than just that. Mm. And you said before, Tanya, that his beliefs about the cause of the pain are really important. Yeah, they are. So I, that's one of the, the really important questions that I would ask every chronic pain patient is what do you think is going on in your body when you feel the pain? Because that will give me an, an idea of um, where they're starting in regards to their pain. Um, and so Darren is really biomedically focused. He thinks that um, the disc must be out Um he was probably told that by a chiropractor some down some years ago, um, or he's got inflamed uh, inflamed nerves. So he, you know he might believe that all he needs is an anti-inflammatory to to sort of get rid of that inflammation. Everything will be fine. So someone who's starting off in that biomedical model. Uh, we'll need some shifting towards the biopsychosocial model, which is what we work under in chronic pain. Darren's assessment included questions about his mood and whether or not he had suicidal thoughts. He admitted his mood was low but denied any suicidality. We also used some instruments to help with the assessment. There are a variety of ways to use instruments in telehealth contexts. For example, you might choose to send a patient a link to an online version of the instrument you've chosen and have them send it back to you by email or even by mail in advance of the consultation. Darren completed a DAS, which indicated that he was moderately depressed, mildly anxious and moderately stressed. He also completed a brief pain inventory. I asked Jane to tell us a little about this measure and about the significance of Darren's score of six. The brief pain inventory looks at a few things. So it's looking at pain severity. It's also looking at pain interference, and that's in a number of different areas, such as, you know, your relationships with others, your enjoyment of life, uh, sleep, mood, uh, walking ability, general activity. Uh, so it actually gives us quite a lot of information. That single number on its own just gives us, you know, sort of uh, the moderate. I'm guessing that one, uh, Tanya, is about the intensity. But we also get a score about the interference as well, which actually is the thing I find more useful. Uh, it tends to be the score that also changes first if you're getting some improvements with people. So they might not find that their pain intensity score changes all that much, but actually they're able to do more, their mood improves, and that interference score changes a lot more quickly. 
Darren also completed a measure of kinesiophobia called TAMPA, that's T-A-M-P-A. Tanya went on to explain that a little further. It's giving us a measure of fear of movement or kinesiophobia. Um, so it's a common measure that um, that's taken with chronic pain patients. And it gives, you know, I like the tamper because it gives me an idea of whether there's uh, fear associated with movement and re-engagement in activity. Um, and it could be fear, anxiety. And, you know, with all these measures, um, it's part of the puzzle. So, you know, I, I might look at the tamper score um, and then look at the patient and look at how they're moving and look at their relationship to movement. You know, are they anxious when they move? Do they hold their body in a guarded way or braced way? Um, so it's a nice little measure just to sort of back up um, what we're actually seeing as well. Of course, we also need to know about the biological elements of Darren's formulation. It's often um, sort of the least um, sort of important factor in a lot of the patients that we see in the, in the chronic pain clinic. Um, and when I do um, a musculoskeletal assessment with them, often um, there's very little things that come up um, positive in there. So uh, with Darren, we can see um, he's reported where his pain is. Um, there aren't any uh, obvious colour changes. There's no neuropositive um, signs, um, no muscle atrophy, normal respiratory rate. Um, the only thing that comes up here is prolonged postures, um, which are aggravating. And, and with that, I would probably be thinking that most of us um, or all of our bodies are designed to move. So when we stay in the same posture for too long, um, our body is going to let us know that um, it, it's not, um, not comfortable and wants to move. So I would be talking to him about pacing activity, changing his postures throughout the day um, and, and so forth rather than um, I don't think there's anything sinister going on. Uh, with, with that. Yeah, so during the subjective history, I would have asked about his functional tolerances. Um, Darren could walk for 30 minutes, stand for 30 minutes. Um, he could sit with no problems um, and could lift or carry about 10 kilos. Um, so that's, you know, not, not too bad. He's able to do half an hour of walking. So I'd be happy with that. Um, and it would just depend on, you know, what sort of things he wants to get back into that um, we then would, would sort of try to work on. Um, have a look at his range of motion. Um, that was full. There was no issues with that. Um, some pain as a return from a flex position. Um, and we did a sit to stand uh, test. So in 30 seconds, he was able to sit to stand 20 times, which is pretty good. Um, and his walk was normal, normal gait. That sit to stand test sounds interesting. You can do it and measure people's progress longitudinally, can't you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we, we would reassess that um, along the, you know, the treatment pathway. So we would definitely do it in the initial consult um, and then post-treatment to see um, any changes. Yeah, I can certainly see that that lends itself to a telehealth environment. But there, there are tricks to doing it, aren't there, that, that you mustn't lean on the arms of your chair. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's your instructions but you also want to make sure that the chair is in a, is a safe chair it's not on wheels um, or propped up against a wall is is the best way so that we know that the chair is um, is safe mm -hmm. and um, and you can get the the patient to move the computer around um, mm -hmm. or the phone depending on what you're using so that you can see what they're doing how many times should I be able to sit to stand in twenty sec in thirty seconds? Do you think twenty is pretty good? So if you could do okay. twenty, Jan, I'd be happy. Okay, that's good. So Darren's not doing too badly, really. He's not doing too badly. What Tanya referred to as the standard list of management strategies needed for a patient with chronic pain seemed long and complex. 
It included psychoeducation, patient-led goal setting, pacing, movement, acceptance and commitment therapy, sleep hygiene and flare management. As a GP, that list can seem quite daunting. It doesn't even include managing medications and expectations around medications. I asked Milana how she felt about that long list of things we need to think about. These are all very acceptable um, strategies and should in fact be incorporated in most, if not all, pain patient consults. Don't expect to be able to do all of this in one session. You do need to see your patients come back and see how they're progressing, even if it's over uh, a telehealth or even over a telephone conversation I've had Mm -hmm. with one patient who doesn't have the facilities to be able to um, show me their face, their grimaces and their various other um, body language, I could still hear it in their voice as to how they were progressing. This is a good reminder that a single practitioner is probably not going to be able to manage a chronic pain patient by themselves. Ideally, effective management will require a multidisciplinary team. Online resources can be helpful too. Tanya was keen to tell us about the online resources she recommends to help support the management of patients with chronic pain. Yeah, so there's quite a few uh, resources we can use. And I think using the online resources are a way of getting um, through the education and some of the skills-based training that perhaps um, someone in primary care wouldn't have the time to do, but you use it as an adjunct to to your normal consults. Uh, So things like using, um, you know, online um, education, um, websites that we um, often, I will use websites in my consultation, but I'll also ask patients to go away and have a look at them, any sort of audio visual material, um, emailing them after a consult with perhaps a summary of what we've just done or additional, um, you know, might be a movement program that that we've talked about or other goals um, that we've talked about um, so that we've got a summary or they've got a summary um, to to work with until the next consult. Um, And then there's lots of online courses and programs. So Reboot Online is the one that we've developed and that was developed um, directly from our own face-to-face program um, and really goes through, you know, the gold standard pain program um, with the addition of movement station and relaxation station as well, which is great. Um, and I think the MindSpot um, program is another one out of Macquarie University. Uh, PhysiTrack's another great app that physios um, are using now and it's, it's an app that clin- any clinician can subscribe to. Um, you can then um, set up an exercise program or a movement program. I don't like using the word exercise because it usually turns patients away. So it's just getting people moving um, and getting, uh, choosing those um, movements, um, setting up a program, and then patients can be emailed um, those programs. But patients can also download the app as well um, and be able to track what um, exercise they've been doing. So that's a, a nice little sort of app out there as well. With the telehealth consults that we do, we also um, provide the Reboot Online program for patients. So patients can work through that pain management program on their own, but we will check in with them every few weeks to see how they're going. We can monitor that, uh, monitor their progress and um, talk about, you know, a a lesson that perhaps resonates with them or or they need some extra advice um, or they might be stuck on something. So we can use our consults to help problem solve um, and help that patient move forward uh, with issues that are important to them while they're getting that education and skills-based training through the online programs. So what makes someone a suitable candidate for management of their chronic pain via telehealth? 
Yeah, so I just think you need to be thinking about firstly their safety. Will they be safe um, if they are doing telehealth um, and from where they're doing it? Have they got the equipment? Do they understand how to use um, the equipment or computer literacy? Communication skills I think is a really important one. I think it's important for all of our consults, but particularly with telehealth, we need to have good, clear communication. Um, And so that would be perhaps a barrier for some patients, but I think Darren's okay with that one. Um, You want to consider whether a carer can be present. So um, sometimes a carer is facilitating that pain behaviour and that pain role. Um, So in those cases, we would probably prefer the carer not to be there. Also, the carer can sometimes be a barrier for the patient to actually speak up and tell us what's going on, particularly if there's an issue with that relationship or at home. Um, so that's something that you need to, to sort of consider in regards to whether someone's suitable for telehealth. Um, but I think the biggest thing, not for telehealth, but for chronic pain patients is, are they ready to change? Um, with chronic pain, our intervention is really looking at behavior change. Um, and their belief system is that first step of shifting, um, towards different behavior. We need to be able to shift those beliefs so that they're ready to change. Um, and so when we are assessing patients in the clinic, that's probably one of the biggest things I'm looking for is, is this patient, um, ready to, to change? Um, have they got that capacity to change? Um, sometimes when they're on certain medications, that capacity, um, is a lot harder. The capacity to change is a lot harder as well. So thinking about the full picture of, of what's going on for that person, um, and are they ready? But I would say that Darren is ready. He's all suitable. Um, and, uh, and we, we'd be able to, to get him started on a telehealth, um, program. I asked Tanya to tell us a little bit more about This Way Up's reboot program. So it's your gold sort of standard pain program um, based on CBT and um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, We sort of have both. Um, And we've also um, got the added movement station, um, which is great for patients um, to sort of have some choice of what type of movement and exercise Mm -hmm. um, they do. Reboot follows a patient called Martha as she works her way through the experience of learning about her chronic pain and how to manage it. It's an animated story of Martha um, and we follow her as she works with all of her different um, clinicians, so primary care clinicians, her GP, her psychologist, her physio um, in this case, um, and just follow her journey um, of how she moves towards managing um, her, her chronic pain. So Martha's lucky enough to have a multidisciplinary team, although not one based in a pain clinic. It doesn't have to be based in a pain clinic. Yeah, so the Movement Station, um, we just developed um, a whole range of uh, videos of different types of exercises um, and they're divided into strength, stability and flexibility type exercises and we also give some guidance in um, sort of um, the the progress through those exercises. Um, But the idea is that the patient can choose what exercises they do or what movement they do or if you're the clinician, um, you know, you can work with the patient um, to develop um, their exercise program. Um, there's also a Tai Chi video for those that um, enjoy Tai Chi. Um, and these exercises are really quite specific exercises for those people that like to have that prescribed exercise. Um, but we know with movement um, that it doesn't matter what type of exercise they do, um, any movement is going to be helpful. Um, but this is just an added resource for those people um, that they can download those um, videos and, and have access to them all the time. 
Tanya, can you only download those videos if you're enrolled in the Reboot program? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, of course, is the relaxation station. So, yeah, in this we'd be looking at helping people to um, manage that sympathetic nervous system activation, uh, hopefully increase that parasympathetic nervous system activation by doing things like, you know, breathing exercises. Um, there's also, you know, mindfulness component there where we are looking at helping people to retrain their attention. Um, and so there are quite a few recordings for that. So as you can see, there's a lot, a lot of things that a program like Reboot, Reboot in particular, does that takes the burden off the practitioner. So maybe you can focus on the complex things that apply to your particular discipline while they're getting exposure to other disciplines within the context of the Reboot program. To refer to the Reboot program, you need to register as a referring practitioner on the clinician's page of the This Way Up website. Once you've done so, you can refer your patients and follow their progress on a secure page on the site. It will cost the people you refer $59 to enrol in the course. That gives them three months access to the modules and that access is extended to 12 months once they've completed the modules. Now, I would never be forgiven if I didn't also mention the MindSpot course, which comes from Macquarie University. This is the pain course that is part of their suite of courses. And the aim of the MindSpot pain course is to help people manage the impact of the pain on their day-to-day lives and their emotional well-being, not to cure or to treat the pain, but to help people manage the pain. It's free, unlike This Way Up. You don't require referral. It's five lessons over eight weeks. Um, And uh, whilst it's reasonably comprehensive, it doesn't include those additional resources that we saw that Reboot is able to provide. It's excellent for psychoeducation about the pain cycle and managing the behavioural and emotional factors that influence chronic pain. There'd be no harm in getting a patient to do the MindSpot course and then follow that up with the Reboot course if they found it helpful and they wanted to spend the money. Milana made special mention of another online resource that is really worth taking the time to look at for yourself. I have a tendency, though, to use um, the Agency for Clinical Innovation's Brain Man as sort of very quick and easy, visualised, this is what chronic pain is all about and this is how you can sort of uh, break the cycle. And I find that very helpful along with their opioid uh, reduction campaign. So um, these are quick and easy and I usually sit through them with the patient because they're that brief but Mm -hmm. very, very efficacious. If you'd like to watch the webinar that this podcast came from, it can be found for on-demand viewing on the MPRAC page of the Black Dog Institute website. You may also like to join the conversation about this and many other mental health subjects in our online community of practice. Membership is open to all practitioners registered with APRA who have an interest in mental health. Thanks for taking the time to listen today.